But Jesus, he, he died that day. And that list needed to find a balance in some form of action. And, and God didn't want to read that list. He doesn't want to bring that list into my remembrance every time. And according to the Bible, there was only one way to get what we call legal justification. To stand right with the living God. And it's written in, in the Colossians. If I can uh, have it here. You know, it says here, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That long, long list, that endless list, nailed to the cross, tick, tick, tick. And the list disappeared together with Jesus' death. In itself, that is enough reason to be joyful, isn't it? You know, to be thankful. But it, it wasn't what God wanted. It was not what he wanted to end, how it wanted to end. Um, I had to think about this, and I thought about these old black and white movies that you sometimes see. You know, like in the end of the war movie, you see the hero, and, and uh, there's, there's uh, some bystander or something, and he jumps in front of him. You can see I'm not such a good actor. <laughs> but he jumps in front of him, and he takes the bullet. He takes the bullet on behalf of that person. And everybody says, wow, you know, and then the movie usually ends like with uh, the hero, sort of, you know, they, they go visit the grave of the hero and they speak beautiful words, say, wow, he gave his life, he dodged the bullet, uh, we dodged the bullet because he took it for me. And it, it, it could have ended there, it could have ended there, but it didn't. Why did Jesus not end it there? You know, we had our salvation. We were no longer under the curse of being indebted for our mistakes. The list was done. Why did he rose? Why did he rose? Because Jesus knew that we need a living Jesus in our lives. And I believe that is what it is. I believe that there was a great sense of needing to achieve that victory. But there was also a great need for him to provide that living kind of experience in our lives. And that is such a beautiful thing because that means that, you know, because he's alive, we can actually see him every day. And I, I, I think that's the most beautiful thing that, uh, that, that he could do. So like how the dying on the cross symbolizes the salvation of mankind, the resurrection shows the ongoing work of a living Christ in our lives. You know, how can you do that? You know, sometimes the story could have ended. You know, I was, I was reminded that the other day. I had to give, an, um, for something completely different now, I had to give a lecture about uh, driving safely in the elderly. <laughs> And I had to give that for like a, a group of elderly persons. And uh, after I sort of, you know, I was talking to them and I was sort of like telling them, you know, that they have to drive safely and uh, don't forget the glasses and don't sit drunk behind the wheel and stuff like this. And then after that, uh, you know, after 10 minutes, I just didn't know what to say anymore. <laughs> I, I, I had everything that I wanted to say about driving safe and the elderly, I said it. And I saw this police guy uh, that, that invited me to do the, the speech. He came to me. 
and, and he said, uh, uh, well, mm, that was a bit on the short side. <laughs> but it showed that, you know, sometimes the story is just finished. There's nothing to say anymore. Why wasn't there anything to say anymore? You know, because in the end of the day, talking about safe driving in the elderly is important, but it's not a reality in my life. The, the story of Jesus can also end. But it didn't. He wants to be living in our lives. And I believe that is the beauty. You know, he knew, and, is, and it's, that's something that is, you know, that's, that's foretold in the gospel. You know, that's what Peter preaches on Pentecost. He essentially says, um, without Jesus' death, we wouldn't have gotten the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You know, who is happy this morning that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Amen. Amen. You know, we wouldn't have gotten that. We wouldn't have gotten there in any kind of way. So that was the rising. It was a victory. He had some stuff to deal with. And what he needed to deal with is death. Victory. He needed to get rid of sin on the cross. It was done. He's alive. It's done. It's done in your life. There's no condemnation. If you still feel condemned about the sins that you did in the past, then you missed really the most important point of his risen, his rising. There's no condemnation in those who believe Jesus Christ. And, and, and that is so important in your life because that past sins drag you down every time, as they do with me. You know, but there's no condemnation, Jesus Christ. There's victory over sin. It is achieved. He's risen. There's nothing else to do anymore. I love Jesus because he loved me in that way. And the second death, I don't have to worry about dying. I don't have to worry about living. I don't have to worry about anything because he conquered that. So basically, if I think about the resurrection, what is that one word that everybody thinks about? Victory, victory, life and victory. Absolutely. And I love that because that is the way... You know, how, what it means for us. But, but how do we work that victory out in our lives? How do you see that victory in your lives? Do you ever contemplate about that? You know, like, we all want to have a living Christ. But how do we get there? How do we see that? How does our life show that? I, it's a question that's close to my heart. Because I, I'm always a bit afraid, coming from a religious background... That my life will never be anything more than just um, knowing Jesus. Knowing about, I said wrong, knowing about Jesus. Knowing about what happened in the past without anything there. And I, I love it. You know, I, I, I get great courage from Paul, from the Apostle Paul. Because what he basically, you know, he, he, he spoke about these kind of things. And I want to read from Philippians uh, 3, verse 10 and 11. From the ESV, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You know? Or how it's written here, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the death. It's a big power there for us to be unlocked. You know, like unlocking that power of Christ. It's, uh, you know, it's part of Christianity. And if you study history, you know, like just to find out what kind of knowledge he's talking about. Like what is, what is to know Christ? How is that like? You know, if you look at the Renaissance, you know, if you learn about history, you look back at the Renaissance. And you le- learn that it's a period where there's a lot of knowledge gained. 
a lot of knowledge, new things, new theories. But what you also learn in the same time, that although all that knowledge changed the way how we were living, it didn't change anything about the morals of that time. It, it brought knowledge, but it didn't bring change in that sense. And I wondered, is that the knowledge that Paul is talking about? I don't think so. I think Paul met Christ, you know, risen Christ, just as unexpectedly as I met him in my life. Have you met Christ this morning in your life? He is, you know, for me personally, I studied, you know, 10 years at university level, acquired all this knowledge, but didn't make me a different man. I, I don't think it did in any kind of way. I think all that knowledge gives us still the same, puts us in the same place. Paul even studied his whole life. And he was living, you know, as against the Christians. Until on that day, he had a transformation. What provoked that transformation in his case? He got to know, he got to really know Jesus Christ. How would we ever know Jesus Christ if he hadn't risen from the death? Do we realize that really in the depth of our spirit, you know what the, the knowledge, the real knowledge brings? You know, and he talks about that knowledge. He says to know Christ. But what is to know Christ? He talks about to know Christ in the context of his resurrection. The context of the power of his resurrection. So what does that power of the resurrection mean for him? You know, there's two ways of knowing somebody. You know about somebody, and you can really know somebody. Which thing do you think Paul was talking about? And I think, for me as a Christian, that's a really important thing. Because I think, you know, how much of my knowledge of Jesus Christ is knowing about him, and how much of my knowledge of Jesus Christ is really knowing him. The knowing part, really knowing him, is the part that will transform your life and will show the power. So may I encourage you, if you don't know him this morning, get to know him. And if you maybe know about him, get to know him. Get to know him more. And I, 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 I just love that so much, you know, that he, he says that. And I, I believe also, you know, we're gonna, we believe as Christians that knowing him is an experiential knowing him. It's not the kind of knowing him as an acquaintance. You know, and there's people that say these days, Jesus doesn't move anymore. You know, his, his grace is gone. We can only know him by the Bible. You know, we just read our Bible and know about him. Do we believe that this morning? No, I, it's good to hear. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Well, then I probably don't have to make that point, but I'm going to make now anyway. But I mean, the, the, the thing is... Um, it is an important point, because some people say, you know, like, like all this stuff from Jesus, the power from Jesus has ceased. You know, like some people say, like, you know, it has stopped, the power of the Holy Spirit has stopped working. We don't have to, you know, focus on, on miracles anymore. We don't have to focus on healings anymore. There's no more prophecy. There's no more tongues. You know, that's, 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 
That's the, the stories of old. And, and that thought never really appealed to me. And the reason for it is because of the risen Christ. The, 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 the power of the resurrection is, you know, in, in the manifestation of that power in the here and now. That victory is of the manifestation of that victory in the here and now. And, and an essential thing to know Jesus is to get to know that power that he has. An essential part in knowing Jesus is that victory that he has in our lives right now. Victory over sin. But also, you know, seeing manifestation of his healing and his power every day. And, and I, I, I really don't see anything there. And I think Paul wanted that. He wanted so much to get to know Jesus in that way. And, and I wanted too. I want so much to get to know Jesus in that way. And I just feel that, you know, how, that, how did Paul do that? How does he do that? You know, and he describes that in the text that we are looking at this morning. He said, you know, I sort of like had these sufferings. You know, like he says, I, I died with Christ and I rose with Christ. You know, we always think about suffering. We think that we have to get tortured or something. But the suffering of Jesus Christ, although it was harsh and it was so unfair in so many ways, the essence of the suffering of Jesus Christ was that he had to give up, completely surrender his will to the Father. The, the thing is, the suffering that he had was both, you know, like a physical suffering. He was unable to... Uh, you know, he was unable to supply food and water and life for himself. And it was also a, a spiritual kind of suffering in the sense that he, he acknowledged that his life was not his, but his life was worth of the Father. So when Paul talks about dying with Jesus and rising with Jesus, as the mode to seeing that resurrected Jesus in our lives. He talks about, you know what I would equate to an empty room. You know, we have that empty room that is our life. And we tend to fill that empty room with all the things that we like to fill in it. You know, we put life, we put uh, family there, we put hobbies, we put sports, we put everything there. But God doesn't want us to do it. He doesn't want to be just one part within our empty room. God, a little bit of God, a little bit of family, a little bit of sports, a little bit of, you know, rugby. Uh, see you in New Zealand. Eh? <laughs> a little bit more of God, maybe. God doesn't want to be part of our room. He wants to be the room. <laughs> he, he wants to be that room and he doesn't want it to be our room. He wants to be the room for us. And... Um, and Paul understood that. And this guy was awesome in so many ways. I'm not. In the sense that when he was writing this letter, he was actually changed, chained to the wall of a prison cell in Rome. And he was writing a, a letter to the Philippians. And, and then the letter is called the letter of joy. <laughs> Do you see Paul sitting there in his cell, you know, tick, 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 you know, like, you know, waiting his execution, writing the letter of joy. <laughs> How do you do that? You can only do it one way. And it is if your life doesn't belong to you in the first place and you surrender to Jesus Christ. So if you want joy, don't think you will ever, ever get joy by putting more stuff inside of your room to give you the joy. 
give you room over to God this morning. Oh, it's, it's, it's such a trial for myself because it's so counterintuitive. But, but isn't the risen Christ the pure reason that we can actually give that room to, to him? Because if he wouldn't li- live, there would be no room to give to him. But because he lives, we can actually give it to him. And we don't have to give it just to him. We can ask him to help us to hand it over to him. Just like Paul did in his cell, waiting for his execution. Way worse than me. I already get, I already get a bit tied up when my coffee machine doesn't work in the morning. <laughs> but Paul, he was sitting there in his cell. Wow, what a victory. What a victory is there in Jesus Christ. I, I love that. So I, I want to thirdly look, you know, what that victory looks like. And it's a bit like how I want to, uh, you know, end the sermon this morning. You know, what does that victory look like? What does a risen Christ do in our lives? Uh, I truly believe that, you know, there's this kind of thing that, you know, we just, how do, how do, how do I say it? You know, if you meditate more on that, on the dying of Christ and living on Christ, you know, there's fruits coming out of that. There's a big, you know, a big fruit harvest coming from a real Christ, a living Christ, a daily kind of reality in your lives. And we saw from Paul what it was. You know, there was joy. That's one of the things. You know, other things... You know, that we're seeing is, you know, enthusiasm, optimism. You know, we can actually be optimistic. And it's for me as a Dutch person that it's very difficult to be optimistic about anything. (laughs) Because I'm not so optimistic by nature. But if I think about God, I am actually optimistic. (laughs) Because that's what the victory is like. Because he died, I can actually be optimistic where I'm going in my life. (laughs) And, And that is such a beautiful thing. And that optimism is a reality. It's not that we have to talk ourselves into some sort of an optimistic hype, but we can actually attain a real optimism, like a fundamental, foundational optimism. So how does that look like? I had to think about examples, you know, and I want to uh, wrap up this, uh, this, uh, this sermon. But one of the things that I was thinking about is, um, <coughs> you know, I... <laughs> I thought about the shepherd boy. <laughs> you know, a shepherd boy that was facing a giant, for instance. And he had a sling. And it wasn't that he was such a good marksman, although he was pretty good. But he had to kill that giant. You know, not unlike the giants that we have to kill in our lives. The thing is, with the recent Christ... Let me say it differently. If Christ wouldn't have risen, then we would have put the sling and we would have missed and tried and tried to get it between the eyes. But because Christ is risen today, we can sling and God creates the trajectory straight between the eyes of the giants that we face in our life. Isn't that victory? Isn't it victory that we don't have to be, you know, partakers of the, of the circumstances in our life, but actually God's power is manifest in changing that. I had to think about, um, you know, about the prophet. And this prophet, you know, had some difficulties. 
And his main difficulty was that there was 800 other prophets that were worshiping a false god. And it was those 800 prophets that were dining on the table of the king. And, and that prophet went to the king. And, and you know what the king said to this guy? He said, are you the worst troublemaker in Israel? <laughs> and I loved it. Because that's what good Christians are. They're the biggest troublemakers. <laughs> so, and and uh, the prophet said, no, you are actually the biggest troublemaker in Israel. He said to the king. And I will deal with this. And by the power of a risen Christ, he built the altar. He put the 12 stones on top of each other. And he put... He put the offering there. And he waited. And we all know what happened. (laughs) A big holy fire. Holy fire. God set fire to his sacrifice himself. I mean, we often in our lives, we have that kind of, you know, that kind of hopelessness. But because of a risen Christ, we're just building the altar. We're putting the stones on top of each other. And God puts a holy fire to our sacrifice. And I I love that. Because it shows me that although I I cannot, I can never set fire myself to a sacrifice. I don't have to do it. It's God who does it. Victory is really his. You know, I I had to think about something else. I had to think about, you know, this, this boy... A little bit like the age of my own son. And he um, had a stash of cash that he got from his father. <laughs> Didn't really deserve it, but he got it anyway. <laughs> well, my son doesn't have a stash of cash from his father. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so this guy had a stash of cash and he went into the world. And he squandered it all, as, as young people do often. <laughs> uh, well, not only young people, of course. <laughs> but anyway, he just, he just got rid of all that, that cash and he spent it here and left and right. And, and, he, and he, was basically, he was basically left without anything. You know, his life was suffering, both in a physical sense. You know, he had to get his food from somewhere. You know, he couldn't supply for his own food anymore. He ran out of money. And in a spiritual sense, hopelessness, deception, you know, things, you know, that worked out differently than he wanted By the power of the risen Christ, when this guy came back to his father, humbling himself. You know what his father said to him? Everything that I have is yours. I mean, that is love. That is the love of a risen Christ. You know, because of the risen Christ, we can love each other really Show that fatherly love. Because the risen Christ, we can see, you know, these kind of things. We can see these miracles. You know, his outpourings of his Holy Spirit, the gifts. You know, healing. It's not a, not a theological, you know, position that we're debating today. There's real, accurate, realistically, continuously life in a risen Christ. And... I just felt that God wanted me to share this message this morning so that we may be partakers of that victory. The victory was done to glorify himself, 
but it was done for us. He glorified himself through us. And it's so much, it's so good in his nature that he wants to share that love and that victory this morning. And I, I don't know about you, but studying this message makes me very grateful. Very happy. Very satisfied in him. And I, I just hope if you don't know God this morning, or you might not have seen him in a long time, you might not have met him in a long time, he might be different, you might know more about him, I, I just hope that you're going to pray, put your life in front of him, you know, see, see these kind of beautiful things. I, I want to end with, um, with something that the Christians have been doing, you know, since the beginning of time. And, uh, you know, the, the, the historian Plinius writes in it, you know, in his letter. It's about the early church. And he said, um, they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light. When they sung in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God. This guy was not a believer. And bound themselves by a solemn oath. <laughs> they didn't give uh, chocolates there for each other's birthdays. <laughs> but for the rest, they were just like us. <laughs> singing and praising God and bounding each other in a solemn oath. And I, w- I want to do that this morning. I want to do it this morning. And I want you to do it with your whole heart. Seeking God in that, in that oath. You know, in that prayer, how we would call it. May I ask you guys, before we celebrate his victory, to stand up, please, this morning. And let's pray a prayer for God to see that victory in our life and in our church. I, I just want you to, you know, if you feel comfortable about doing that, otherwise pray in silence, but if you feel comfortable to do that, I would like you to just repeat, you know, the words, and I'm going to lead all of you in a prayer declaring the victory of Jesus Christ Amen let's close our eyes and pray thank you Father for your amazing victory thank you that you rose on the third day we praise you for being a living God we declare your resurrecting power over our lives Like Paul, we want to know you more every day of our life. We declare your resurrecting power over the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name, we celebrate today our new life in you. Amen. Thank you guys for listening to me. Let's celebrate the risen Christ.